Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Verse 31, And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in, naked, and ye clothed me not, sick and in prison. And you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Let us pause for prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege that is ours to worship you, our Savior and our Lord, and help us as we look into your word to understand our responsibility to those about us in need. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes... We get so hung up on feeling spiritual, feeling righteous, feeling good, that we forget that there's a practical side to life. And that practical side says that there is a relationship that we have to others to assist them in their need. And the scripture certainly teaches us that faith without works is dead. Or as the scripture says, says, show me your faith without your works, which means you can't. And I will show you my faith by my works. 
Salvation, it does not come by works. But salvation does work. That is, that which was planted in the heart of man will be seen in that which we do into and for other people. And there is plenty of reason for anybody to question whether we have salvation if it can't be seen in that which we do. I think that's important for us to understand that Christian people should be demonstrating their faith. It ought to be coming out in what we do to and for other people. And if there is a blight against the church, that blight is that we don't practice what we preach. We are more inclined to say, be warm and be filled, and God bless you, and it never transfers from our words to our action in actually seeing that they're warmed, and seeing that they're blessed, and seeing that they're fed, and seeing that they're visited. The words that Jesus gave us here in Matthew specifically points out that there is a time when he's going to look not at what we say, but rather at what we do. And we're going to find ourselves in his kingdom based upon those things that we have done, such as taking care of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, those who need to be clothed, those who need to be visited. And as Jesus pointed these things out, the, he says, the righteous are going to say to me, the saved are going to say, Lord, when did we do those things to you? And he's going to return with a response, you did them to me when you did them to my brethren. That's when. But he's also going to turn to another group of people and condemn them to an eternal damnation to the depths of of everlasting fire, as verse 41 says, and people are going to say, Lord, uh, when did we not minister unto you? And he's going to say, you did not minister unto me when you did not minister unto others. That's when. And so there is a responsibility that we as a church has to get out of our comfortable seats, out of our comfortable building, and take our faith to the streets, to those who are in need, to the elderly, to the ill, to those that have had tragedy of one nature or another, and there apply our faith. That's the thing that our committee on crisis is looking at. And developing a plan whereby we can meet the needs of those who, who are not sitting here comfortably with us because they have needs that, that need to be met somewhere else. All right, let's go to Job. Job chapter 31. Job was a very wealthy man. And you remember the story how that the day came when he lost everything that he had. All of his flocks and his lands, his barns, and even his children had been killed, 
had nothing left, and he sat in the dirt covered with sores. Whenever you and I get to the point to feel like that we can't go any further, we have reached the bottom. All we've got to do is look at Job to discover we have a long way yet to the bottom. We're not yet sitting covered with boils in, in the dirt, having lost everything. And even his wife told him that he ought to just curse God and die. And his three friends, supposed friends, come to him, and they're going to support him in his time of need. And if we had several weeks, we could talk about the things that they said to him. But in essence, they're saying, Job, the reason you're where you are is you haven't taken care of the people. You have hoarded your goods to yourself. You have been selfish. You haven't taken care of the hungry and the needy. You've been a sinner, Job. And God's punishing you for your sinfulness. And Job's answer, a part of it which we will look at this evening in, in chapter 31, is that's not me. I cannot understand why I'm down. I can understand why I'm at this low ebb. But I know it's not because of my faith, because I still believe in God. And I know it's not because I haven't been benevolent to the people around me. Job's saying, I've done all those things, and we're going to look at them here. I can't understand. And Job's saying, listen, you're not talking about me because I believe in God. I don't know why I'm down. I don't know why I'm here. There must be a reason for it. You know, one of the things that I have discovered, like Job... I have, let me tell you, been pretty low. I've never been as low as Job has been. I've lost everything in my life twice. I know what it is to, to, to lose everything. But I've never been as low as Job, and I wondered why all of this. But when it was all said and done, I discovered that there was a plan that God had, that it was necessary for him to bring me down, that he might bring me up to where he wanted me. So you remember, I hope, as we look at the life of Job, you may be down. And if the Lord has placed you there, it's because he's got a higher place for you to go. And you wouldn't have reached it had he not knocked you off that pedestal and brought you to a place. And he has brought many people, and I'm one of those included, that, if, that we would take a look at ourselves. One of the reasons I believe that God places people on the flat of their back is that for one time in their life they're going to have to look up. And sometimes it takes that for God to get our attention. He doesn't always have to do that, but he does. But here is Job, a righteous man. And he's lost everything. And his friends say, you're a sinner, Job. You haven't been treating people like you have. And it's Job's response that I want us to notice. And there are some comments I want to make verse by verse as we get out through here. Look at first of all, verse 4 and 31. Does not he see my ways and count all my steps? If there is anything that Job understood, and I hope we understand, there is not one solitary secret in our life of what God does not even know it before we know it. He knows the secrets of our life. He knows and counts our steps. Did you see that? He counts our steps. He knows where our feet are going. 
Scripture tells us that not even a sparrow falls from heaven but what God is not aware. And if he is aware of the falling of a sparrow, and if you really want to take that verse and break it down into the old Hebrew, you will discover it says more than that. Not even a feather of a sparrow floats to earth but what God is not aware if God is so keenly aware of such a minute thing as a loss of a feather on a sparrow, how much is he concerned about where our feet go, what our life is? And so we must realize that we are not escaping the awareness of God. We can hide from man, but we can't hide from God. And so Job is saying, look, I can't hide from God. He knows me through and through. All right. He says, if I have walked with vanity, or if my foot hath hasted to deceit, oh my, I'm not so sure that I could stand that kind of scrutiny if my feet have walked in vanity. What did he say? Let me, verse 6, let me be weighed in an even balance that God made know my integrity. Oh! You want to put your integrity in the balances of God and see whether or not the tilt goes one way or the other of your life against God's expectation? Job is willing to put his life in that balance and to see whether he stacks up. Most of us would find it difficult and shameful to step on the balance scales and see if we will balance out with God. Because there are those things that God knows of that's going to find us coming short of what he expects. O Belshazzar, you remember, I used the uh, vessels within the temple to put wine in to have a drunken brawl. And there writing on the wall was a hand and it said, Mini, Mini, Tekel, you Pharisee. Just a hand is all he saw. Probably right hand. Let me get it up. He saw the words and he saw the hands. Nobody could understand what it said. Daniel understood, and Daniel came in and interpreted the words. And it said, weighed in the balances and found wanting. But Job is willing to put himself in the balances because he believes that he will not be found wanting. He believes that his life has been righteous. Verse 7, if my step have turned out of the way, Christian people, where do we walk? In our Christian life, where is our Christian walk? Are we walking the path that God has prescribed, or have we stepped out of the way and gone down the alleys of sin? Again, one of the blights against the church is that many of our own people are walking in paths not approved of God. Yeah. 
Now notice the next phrase. Mine heart walketh after mine eyes. That's an interesting phrase to me. I read that and read it over and over and over when I was studying for this sermon. Mine eye, my heart walks after my eyes. Then I realized what he was saying. Where you look is where you go. Where you go. Where you look, you will discover your feet are in that direction. What attracts your eyes, you will discover, is going to attract your feet. We're going to go where we're looking. You just try it sometime and see if you can look over here and walk over there. You're going to discover you can't walk the straight line that way because your eyes are to the left or to the right. Your feet will have a tendency to go where you're looking. And that's exactly true in life. That which claims our attention will suddenly and soon claim us completely. We're going to go where our attention is. The scripture says where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Your heart is going to go where your interests are, that which attracts you. If any blot, the latter portion of verse 7, if any blot has cleaved to my hands, any impurities in my hands, Job says. You know, I don't know how many times you really look at your hands, but I want to ask you in your mind's eye, to consider your hands. Are they clean? In the eyes of God. Now have those hands done things that are contrary to the will of God? Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? The answer is, he that has clean hands and a pure heart. That's who. And they're tied together. You cannot separate that which your hands do from that which your heart believes. If our heart says that we believe in Jesus Christ and are going to feed the hungry and take care of the poor and clothe the needy, then we're going to discover that our hands will be about our Father's business, doing those things that our heart says we believe. We'll hurry on down. Verse 9 and 10 talk about immorality, which is one of the sins that they charged him with. And they said, if my heart has been deceived by any woman or if I have laid wait at any neighbor's house, then let my wife go to work for somebody else and let her be a prostitute for them. That's exactly what verse 10 says. He goes on to say in verse 11, this is a heinous crime. Immorality is what he's talking about. Immorality is not committed by the unsaved only. Immorality is a way of life even amongst church people. And Job is being capable of standing there and saying, listen, my heart is pure. I have not yielded to immoral practices Let's go on. Enough said about immorality. We hear that all the time. He gets down to right where we live now. 
Verse 13, If I despise the cause of my manservant and my maidservant, when they contend with me. In other words, if my servants come to me and say, I have need, and I don't give to them. Verse 14, What then shall I do when God rises up? Oh, this is a tremendous verse. What shall I do when God rises up, when he visiteth? What shall I answer him? What is the answer that we give to God when God confronts us with the question, What have you done? When have you witnessed? When have you served? When have you fed? When have you visited? What am I going to answer? The day came when Cain was so angry with his brother Abel that he finally killed him and buried his body in the ground. And God came looking for, for Abel and he said to Cain, Where is your brother? And Cain answered, Am I my brother's keeper? And God's response was, What have you done, Cain? If we could add a phrase or two to make it understandable to us, God is saying, Yes, Cain, you are responsible for your brother. Yes, church, we are responsible for the needs of people about us. No, we cannot close our minds and our hearts. No, we cannot shun and ignore them and say, God bless you and you go on your way. We're going to have to open the storehouses of the church and pour out blessings from us in the name of Jesus Christ upon the needy as we see them, whatever those needs might be, we must give in order to receive. When we pray, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We're saying, Father, forgive me in proportion to my forgiveness. We can also say, Father, give me in proportion to the way that I give. The question arises quickly. What kind of blessing will we have from God if it is dependent upon the blessing that we transfer to others? But yet Jesus in Matthew said, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. Verse 15, did not he that made me in the womb make him also? Yes, indeed. Verse 16 and 17, and it's from verse 17 that I get my title of the message tonight, Eating Our Morsel Alone. If I have withheld the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel myself alone, if I have, in other words, taken all that God has given me and been very selfish about it and held it for my own use only, that's what he's saying. If that really has happened, then he's going to ask condemnation upon himself. But I want you to go to Luke 2. we just got uh, three verses here that we need to look at. In Luke, uh, in, uh, rather, Luke 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Bring forth therefore fruit uh, worthy of repentance. Bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Verse 10, and I'm leaving some of it out because of time. The people ask him, saying, What shall we do then? And here's his answer in verse 11. And he answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, 
let him do likewise. What is he saying? We have a responsibility for those who are in need. Verse 19 of Job again. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing or any without covering, and if he were not warmed with the flesh of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless, verse 22, then let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade and mine arm be broken from the bone. That's pretty serious. I'm not so sure that I'm going to stand in front of God and say, look, if I haven't taken care of the people who are in need, pull my arm out of its socket and throw my arm away. I'm not quite sure that I'm, I'm ready to make that statement. Are you? But it points out that the responsibility that the church has to those who have needs is important. He goes on to another subject in verse 24. If I have made gold my hope or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence. If I rejoice because of my wealth was great and because my hand has gotten much. This is the problem of great numbers of people. And you don't have to be millionaires to be involved here. A person in poverty can be just as involved. We can make our money, our God, to the point that we refuse to share it with others and to accumulate it and to make it something that we desire. We can drive five automobiles and live in fine houses and have fine TV sets and fine clothing and all of those things, and that's not a problem in themselves, but when those things become our object in life and we're not willing to share with those who have nothing, then we're going to fall short of the position that Job showed. What is our responsibility? To share that which we have with those who have nothing. Verse 33, he says, If I cover my transgression as Adam, my, and by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, we can't hide from God, we've already spoken to that. Verse 38, if my land cry against me, or the, or the furrows likewise thereof complain, if I have eaten the fruit thereof without money, or have caused the owners thereof to lose their life, let thistles grow instead of wheat, and cockle instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. He's made it plain. He refuses to bow to the complaints of his so-called friends, and he's standing saying, look, my life is well known to God. And I have opened my granaries and I have, I have clothed the people who are in need with, with the, the wool off of my sheep. I have done everything that I know to do. And I believe that that's exactly what God is expecting of us. We must not be so self-centered but what we can share with those who have nothing. He that has two coats, give to him that has none, said Jesus. And as we as a church look at our responsibility to our own membership and the people of our community, it is our responsibility to consider how we might best assist them in their time of need. We're going to have people in crisis in our church. We've had them already and we'll have more people who are in crisis. 
it's then when the church of Jesus Christ rises up and with a loving arm puts it around those in need and we say to those, that which we have, we share. And if we go from Turtle Creek to Danville and find a man who has fallen in the ditch, we'll bring him out of the ditch and we'll see that he's taken care of and we'll pay the bill asking nothing in return because we love Jesus Christ, just like the Good Samaritan that Jesus told us about. Our responsibilities are more than maintaining a fine building, more than sending money to missions overseas. It's also to care for those who are in crisis in our own ministry. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.